open your Bible or your Bible app to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, we're going to look at passages from the first six chapters of Exodus today as we begin a brief three-week journey from here to there, from here to there. And over the course of these three weeks, we're, three weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. And sometimes that move is physical, uh, like for us. I mean, a little over a year ago, we were, uh, we were living in Peoria. We'd been settled there for 16, 17 years. And God said, I'm ready for you to move. And we physically, literally had to, to uproot ourselves and move into a brand new place for a brand new season. So sometimes when God is wanting you to move, sometimes it actually is literally physical but it is almost always spiritual. God is almost always, whether you recognize it or not, God is almost always urging you to move from here to there, to move from where you are to where God wants you to be. And we're gonna look at the physical move of the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land and make application to our lives on a spiritual level of how we identify where we are and take the journey to where God wants us to be. So with that said, join me in a word of prayer. Father, as we break open your word today, I pray that you will make it rich. God, that you will, will let scales of, of misunderstanding fall off of our eyes, God, that, that you will prevent the enemy from blocking what each person needs to hear. I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you will reveal in a, in a miraculous way to each one of us exactly what we need to hear to recognize where we are and to move to where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, all God's people said... Amen. All right. So that's what we're going to do. Now, in, in sort of kicking that off, if you're going to go anywhere, if you're going to go anywhere, there's two things that you need to know. What are they? What do you need to know before you go anywhere? Where are you going? And well, how to get there, but how do you know how to get there? You have to start with where you are, right? You cannot get to any destination, no matter where it is, until you know where you're starting from. I mean, if you, if you want to go to, to uh, northern Maine, where, where my wife is from, and yay, or, or to Myrtle Beach, the part of the promised land, you know, of, in South Carolina, you want to go to those places, you can't just start driving and hope to get there. You got to know where you're starting from because where you're starting from will dictate the direction and the route that you take to get to where you're going. So you got to know where you're starting from. And that's where I want us to start this morning is understanding where you are right now. Now, a couple of things about understanding where you are. You are where you are this morning for a variety of reasons. You could be where you are by choice. You could be where you are by accident. Or you could be where you are because you have just slowly drifted in a direction. So let me say just a quick word about each one of those things. All right, so you might be somewhere by choice. And by the way, that might be a good thing, right? Because 
the Lord uh, hopefully guides us and we make good, wise choices based on what he reveals to us in his word. So you might be where you are in a good place by choice. Praise the Lord if that's true for you here this morning. But in many cases, you wind up where you are by choice and it's because you made a poor choice or a bad choice. In spite of what you know, you made a bad choice. You know, when I was thinking about that, I was reminded of, of, of the words to, to one of the old hymns that we know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. Why in the, is, is that not stupid? I mean, really, when you think about it, why in the world would we leave the God that we love and wander away in a direction that we know is not for our own good? But we do it, don't we? Church, are you with me? We do that, right? So you might be where you are this morning by choice and you're in a good place because you made a good choice. Or in all likelihood, many of you are here this morning because you have made a poor choice, a bad choice, because you are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that you love. You might be where you are this morning by accident. You had no intention of being where you are. Something happened in your life. Something was done out of your control and it completely took you off course. It moved you somewhere where you had no desire to be. You didn't control it. You didn't mean to be there, but it's where you are. And sometimes you are where you are because you've been slowly drifting. Without caring, without paying particular attention, you've just been slowly drifting in a certain direction. And you know what, church? If you are here this morning and you've been slowly drifting in a particular direction for a period of time, I can guarantee you, you are farther from God than you were when you started. Because if you are drifting, drifting always takes you away from God. Drifting never moves us toward God. Drifting always moves us away from God. And so as we start this brief journey in this overview of Exodus, you need to ask yourself this morning, where am I? Where am I? Am am I where I am because of choice? Am I where I am because of an accident and I've I've gotten stuck here? Am I where I am because I've just been drifting, paying no particular attention and look where I've wound up. Where are you? And so as we look at the situation of the children of Israel, let's look at how they got to where they were. So Exodus chapter one, verse one, I'm reading from the new King James version. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob. As you finish the book of Genesis, you realize that that there was famine, right? You know the story of Joseph. There was famine. Joseph, by God's uh, revelation to him, knew that they needed to be storing grain. And his father Jacob and his brothers living in God's land, they they had also experienced some famine. And they came to get grain that God had miraculously provisioned through the leadership and the placement of Joseph. Now, 
Egypt was not their home. Egypt was not their land. So they went down by choice for a period of time to make sure that they had their needs met. Now, I can guarantee you that when they left God's country and went down to Egypt to get the grain that they needed so that their family could be sustained, so that Israel could stay alive, they thought, oh, this will just be for a brief season. We'll be here for a little while. The next thing you know, we'll be going back home. But the Bible tells us that they were there by choice. They came down by choice. But Exodus 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verse 40, tells us that they were there not two years, not three years, not, not five or ten, 430 years. They come down for a season to have their needs met. They leave their homeland. They leave God's place to go to a temporary place of provision. And 430 years later, the Bible says they're still there. Rabbi Zacharias, some of you will know his name. He made a statement once, and I encourage you to write this down. He said, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin will do. It'll take you farther than you want to go. Oh, no, 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 I don't want to go that far. And the next thing you know, you've gone even farther. It will keep, or keep you longer than you want to stay. Oh, I'll just, I'll just do this for a little while. I'm just going to enjoy myself for this little bit. I'm just going to sow these oats. It's just going to be for a little while. And years later, you're still in that messed up place. And it will cost you far more than you want to pay. Because sin demands everything. It demands everything. Thing you've got. So they go down there with no expectation of staying for very long. And 430 years later, they're still there. They just settled in to a place that God never intended for them to settle. And let me make this point to you, church. When you stay still too long, it leads to apathy. And that creates the potential for a spiritually dangerous situation. When you are still too long, when you quit moving in the direction of God for too long, apathy begins to set in, which makes you ripe for a spiritually dangerous situation. And why do I say that? Because the opposite of love is not hate. It's apathy. Because hate still involves a level of passion and, and it, it involves a, a level of, of investment. And when you love something, you move in the direction of what you love. When you hate something, you run from what you used to love because you know the power of that thing. But when you get still too long, you often become just apathetic where that thing doesn't even matter anymore. 
You know, when Jonah ran from God, do you think that he was running uh, from God because he didn't think that God mattered? He was running from God because he knew God did matter, right? Jonah was running from God because he knew that God was going to demand of him something that he didn't want to do and God would have his way. And Jonah's trying to run from what he knows God is going to be able to do because he had enormous respect for God. He didn't want to do it, but he had enormous respect for God. And if I stay here, I'm going to have to do it and I don't want to do it. Jonah didn't run because he was apathetic. But when we stay still too long, all of the things of God, after a while, just sort of become background noise. We just become numb to it, we become apathetic to it. It doesn't even matter anymore. And that's what was happening to God's people, the children of Israel. They were not in their homeland. They were not where they were supposed to be, but man, they had gotten comfortable. And they were no longer, because they weren't in God's land, right? They were no longer being challenged in the way that they lived. They were no longer being challenged to live uprightly before God. They had, they had left God's environment and they were no longer being salt and light in the world. And church, when we make a decision, we land in a place by choice, by accident, or by drifting. Either one of those three things, and we wind up staying still there too long, we start to become apathetic and we start to worry or not worry at all about being salt and light in the world. We stop making a difference for God where God put us to be. And you know what? As a result, because their lifestyle didn't really matter all that much anymore. They weren't trying to be salt and light. They weren't trying to show that God is God anymore. And when that happens, when that happens, when God's people start becoming apathetic to the things of God and stop being an influence for God and wherever they are, eventually, eventually the people around them will forget all about who God really is and will actually start to resent them. Sounds a little bit like America these days, does it not? Verse 8 of chapter 1. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. New king, new pharaoh knew nothing about Joseph, and because God's people had quit being an influence, he knew nothing of the blessing that God had brought to Egypt because of God's children. Again, does that not sound a little bit like America these days? That the nation that we live in forgets the blessing that God brought to the nation because of his people who were being an influence for God in this place? See, when we get too comfortable with a people that we don't, that don't belong to God or, or a place that really isn't home, then we can easily forget about God's claim on our own life. They don't know it. I mean, the, the people who aren't already part of God, they don't know God's claim on their life. But when we start to kind of blend in with them, we start to forget God's claim on our own life. And then that comfort takes us away from dependence on God. And you know what happens 
we eventually wind up in bondage of some sort. Some fashion, some kind, some way. We wind up in a spiritual version of Egypt. See, in the scripture, Egypt signifies a place of the world. Egypt symbolizes a place of sin. And when we stop depending on God, when we become apathetic to the things of God, because we're no longer actively pursuing God, we wind up in our own spiritual Egypt and in a place of spiritual bondage. Look at chapter 2. Verse 25, now they had, they'd been in verse 23 and 24, they'd been in uh, slavery now. And they were griping and complaining and moaning, understandably so, in verses 23 and 24. And in verse 25, after all that complaining, the Bible tells us that God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Like, yep, I hear you. I've actually been hearing you. And I've, I've been watching. I'm aware of what's happened. And listen, listen to me now real closely. God will sometimes let us stew in the juices of our own bad choices and decisions sometimes before he re- brings us out of that situation. See, a lot of times we'll wind up in a place that we don't want to be. And the first thing you do, if you're a Christian and you haven't really cared and something bad happens, all of a sudden, man, I'm down here, I'm down here. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Please help me, Lord. Please, God, get me out of here. Take this away from me. Oh, God. God goes, man, I haven't heard from you in a long time. How you been? And we expect God to act just like that. Get me out of here. But God sometimes, and in fact, I would say most times, lets us stew a while in the juices of our own bad choices for our benefit. You know why? Because the pain that you feel, the pain that you experience helps you identify the truth of where you are and why you need to get busy about moving in the direction that God wants you to move in. Side note, parents, parents of young children especially, but all the way up through teenagers and maybe even in their early 20s, when you step in and you try to alleviate consequences every time your kid is in a situation that has a little bit of of difficulty, you are doing them a disservice. You are not parenting in a godly way. Oh, I don't want my kids to experience pain. Pain is one of the greatest teachers that we will ever know. And God, because God is a good father, we sing that song, you're a good, good father, and he is. But because he's a good father, in many situations, he will let us deal for a while with the pain of our own choices before he acts. But God finally did act. Chapter 3 tells us that he began to engage with Moses. Talk to him in a burning bush. That would be pretty cool. Wouldn't it be a little trippy? Like, wow, it's so wild. If I go home today and I see a burning bush talking, it's going to freak me out. I'll just tell you that right up front. 
But he tells Moses, hey, listen, I have reached the point. I am ready to act on the behalf of my children. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down there, Moses, and I want you to gather the leaders of Israel together and tell them that I've got a plan for them to be brought out of where they are to where that I want to take them. And so verse 17, Moses does that. Um, and, or, or this is what God is telling Moses to say. And he says, Moses say that I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the other ites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. All right, top of that verse, out of the affliction of Egypt, bottom of the verse, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Out of the affliction of Egypt, to a land flowing with milk and honey. What God has prepared is always, always, always better. Now, this is one of the great tricks of Satan. He has been a deceiver and an imitator from the beginning. And what he will do is he will try to deceive you and, and trick you into thinking that what Satan is ready to offer you, what he is ready to provide is always better than what God's doing, Right? Hey, hey, God's holding out on you, Eve. He's holding out on you. He don't want to give you the good stuff, but I will. I'll do it. I'll give you the good stuff, Eve. And Satan has been doing that from the beginning of creation. He will try to tell you that what he's got, what he's offering is always better than what God has. But church, do not believe the lie. What God has is always better. And this is why we have to understand that faith is not based on what we see. Faith is acting on what we don't see. You you know what is based on what we see? Sin. Sin is based on what we see. There's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, right? What I see. You start, oh man, I want that. That's going to be good for me. That's going to make me happy. That's what Eve did. Eve looked at the fruit and she saw, right? She saw that it was what? Oh, she saw it's good. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's to be desired. I want that. The lust of the eyes, the things that we see, and we begin to spend time pondering and working. Let let that thing run around in circles in our brain, and we start wanting what is not truly there instead of what God is offering, even though we can't see it. You know, there's, there's an old truth, and, and I, I do believe it's true, that uh, in, intelligence is learning from our own mistakes. And I think that's important, right? I mean, we need to learn from our mistakes. If you're not learning from your stakes, mistakes, the Bible says you're a fool. So intelligence is learning from our mistakes, but you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is learning from somebody else's. Church, the Bible is given to us to give us all of these examples. And do you know, you you realize, right? The Bible doesn't just tell us all the good stuff. The Bible shows warts, problems, flaws, difficulties. It shows all of it. The Bible is completely transparent and honest about the ups and downs of God's people. And you know the value of that? 
It's for us to learn in wisdom. We don't have to go that route. We don't have to do that thing. We need to learn to trust what we don't see because we know a God has always got something better. Always. Then verse 21 and 22 of chapter 3. And I love this because God has always got something better, but most of us, we don't, we don't learn as well from our mistakes as we should. Most of us do not practice learning in wisdom from somebody else's mistakes. And so, you know what? We, we usually find out the hard way, right? We find out the hard way. That's what the children of Israel were doing. They were finding out the hard way. But this is the goodness and the grace of God all the way back in the book of Exodus. Uh, verse 21, God says Moses to tell them this. He said, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go, when you go, when you finally get out of there, that you're not going to go empty-handed. Every woman shall ask of her neighbor, that's the Egyptians, every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, they'll ask for articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, you shall plunder the Egyptians, when God begins to move you from where you are, you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, I want you to just pause for a second and think about that. All right, you're in, in the strongest land of the known world at the time. You got all these slaves who have been a pain over the last couple of weeks as all these plagues have hit, and now you just, you just want them to go, but just leave, just leave. And then they say, hey, by the way, can you give me all your silver and gold and some of your clothes too? Are you out of your mind? Just get out of here. But God said, you'll ask them and go, oh, okay, sure. Sure, let me go get a whole bunch of gold and silver. Let me, let me just load your wagon up before you go. Church, this is an Old Testament version of Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good for those who, are, who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, I told you, don't ever hit anybody over the head with that when they're going through a hard time. That's, that's not for you to say, oh, oh, God's going to work all this for good. They don't want to hear that. That verse is for you. That's a promise for you that you claim for yourself because when, when God is ready to move, no matter how bad the situation you've been in may have been, God says you're going to leave that with something of value. God never wastes an experience and he never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a pain. Every bit of it can be used for God's purposes and his glory. He said, when, when you start to move, when you come up out of that situation that you're in, that place that you're at, that you don't want to be at anymore, you're going to bring something of value along with you. You thought you just want to get out of there, but I'm, I'm going to make it even better because not only are you going to get out, you're going to bring something of value. Turn over to chapter 5. Chapter 5. So Moses is saying, hey, let my people go. And Pharaoh's going, I don't know your God. 
I don't listen to your God. Your God means nothing to me. So I'm going to do what I want to do. And in fact, it ticked him off a little bit. And in verse 6 of chapter 5, so the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it. They're idle. Therefore, they cry out saying, let's go and make a sacrifice to our God. Well, Pharaoh is going to have none of that. So in verse 9, he said, let more work be laid on them that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. Church, listen to me. When you start to move toward God in his direction from wherever you are, you can almost guarantee that it's going to get harder before it gets easier. You ever tried to start a, a brand new habit or start saving money? You ever notice how hard that is to get going? When you start, try, start trying to save money or something, you know, every appliance in your house breaks down, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? I got to fix that now? I wanted to save money. I'm like, oh, no, 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 you're not going to save money. There's an old truism that a body in motion tends to stay in motion and a body at rest tends to stay what? At rest. See, this is part of the problem with being still too long. Because the, the, the energy that it takes to start moving is really, really hard. And, if, and if, if, just in case you're not really tracking, how many of you have ever been sitting in your recliner and it gets to be bedtime, and you know how good the bed is going to be, but, man, you really don't even want to get up out of the recliner. You know, raise your hand. Yeah, I had that. It's like, man, I know the bed's good, but, man, I just don't want to make, take, use the energy to get out of this recliner. Because a body at rest tends to stay at rest. And when we sit too long, when we stay too long, when we become idle too long, instead of always pursuing God, you start to move and Satan says, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. And he's going to fight you and he's going to make it harder. And then, then chapter or verse 19 of chapter 5. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. After it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. And then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. Now listen, they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. They're starting to blame God and they're starting to blame Moses and Aaron for their trouble. Can we just be real clear? God didn't tell them to stay there 430 years, did he? God didn't do that. Moses, Moses didn't tell them to stay there 430 years. That was a choice that they made. 
But when it starts getting harder, when, when God's uh, spokesman, whether it's a, a Sunday sink teacher, whether it's a brother or sister in Christ who begins to speak into your life, whether it's the preacher, the pastor, somebody, when God's spokesperson speaks into your life and tells you to start moving toward God and you start to do it and Satan starts to jump up and fight against him and fight against you, you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to start blaming God for the problem. Blame God. God. If God loved you, you wouldn't be in this situation. No, God's a gentleman. He lets you make a choice. He lets you go your own direction. And now, it, what's really interesting here is that God is in the middle of all this. He's working on their behalf to remove them and free them from their oppression, and they're blaming God for the situation in the first place. How foolish is that? And yet we do that, don't we? God is working on our behalf for our benefit, for our good as we, he calls us to move in his direction. Satan fights back and then we start blaming God instead of assigning the, 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 the blame to where it ought to lie. And that's with ourselves to begin with and then with Satan who is working against us and working against God. Flip over to chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. This is the last passage that we'll look at this morning. And he said, I'll bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. And so Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Church, this is what the devil wants to do. He wants to discourage you so badly that any thought that you have of moving in God's direction, of leaving where you are and moving toward God, he wants to discourage you so much that you stop believing that there is something better ahead you blew your chance you blew your opportunity you're stuck with this now it'll never get better and Satan wants you to think that ultimately there is no hope but there is hope because God always has something better. Church, there's a journey ahead of you this morning that God wants you to embark on. He wants you to step out in faith in a direction that maybe you don't even completely see yet, but trusting that God has your best in mind. And I'm just going to tell you this morning that wherever you are, it really doesn't matter where you are. Because wherever you are, God is always calling you to be closer to him. Amen? Wherever you are. You could be in a great place by choice this morning because you've been following God and you're in a place that is honoring and pleasing to God. And yet God says, don't stay still there too long. Don't stay still there too long. 
If you stay still there too long, if you quit moving toward me, the next thing you'll know, you'll be in a spiritual Egypt. So you keep moving toward me. Don't you settle. Don't, Don't you get comfortable where you are. You keep moving toward my heart because I will always keep bringing you to something better. You are where you are this morning by choice. Could be good or bad. You are this, where you are this morning by accident. Something happened, you didn't see it coming, but you're there. Or you're where you are because you've just been drifting for a while. And this morning, God is calling you to take a step of faith. Leave where you are, get up from where you are and start moving toward me. And you know what? When we open up these altars in a moment, you know what the devil's gonna tell you to do? Stay right where you are. Stay right where you are. You don't need that. You, you're a good Christian. You're good. If you go up there, people will think you're a bad Christian. You're a good Christian. Stay right where you are. And that is Satan's tool to keep you from moving in God's direction. Stay where you are. And you know what? Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, not only in this church, but in churches all across America. They give altar calls, they give invitations, and there are people that are standing in a seat and they know they are way far from God, but they don't want anybody to think anything about them. And so they stay right where they are. And you know what? They're in bondage to their seat. They're in bondage to their reputation. They're in bondage to the impression that people might have of them. And God says, I don't care what people's impression are of you. I want to move you to somewhere better. You may need Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning. Talk to me. Let's pray. Let's invite Christ into your life. But church, I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care where you are. There is a place to move closer to God this morning. Would you stand? Father, as we enter a time of decision, of response, God, take the chains off the chairs. I rebuke Satan this morning and his power, his hold, his grip on anyone here. God, may these altars be flooded with people who say, I want more of God. I will not be satisfied with just staying where I am. In Jesus' name, amen.